following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. It seems so innocent, it's just your opinion, but you think one way and they think another way. You live one way and they live a little bit different than you. Uh, They dress with a certain style that is just not you and never going to be. They speak different. Uh, They have a different accent. Their skin color is a different color. They have much more than you have or they have far less than what you have. It's almost imperceptive. But in your heart, you begin to separate yourselves from other people. You divide yourself. You compare yourself. You distance yourself. Sometimes you elevate yourself above them because they're that way and you're this way. You make an evaluation. At times, your heart reveals itself by what you say about other people. It just kind of comes out. And then occasionally, you might speak an opinion about another, and it might even leak out in the way you behave towards other people. Sadly, you fall into doing what we are all prone to do and struggle with, and that is to live by externals. We look at the outside, and we automatically make comparisons. We draw conclusions about someone based on their appearance or their words or their, you know, at least observed behavior. And you really divide up against others, not on the basis of principle, but on the basis of preference and perception. It's almost as if you and I have forgotten what God's warning to Samuel was. Samuel is checking out David's big, muscled, better brother's. And he's super impressed with the possibility of them being the next king. And God says, no, you're looking all wrong. You're looking at him only on the outside. You're not looking at who he really is. Who is he? Well, what does he say in 1 Samuel 16, 7? Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him For God sees not as man sees, for a man looks at the, what, outward appearance, but the Lord, again, looks at the heart. Christians are heart-driven people. The essence of our faith is internal, and we can't evaluate what's really going on in someone unless we're going to be able to engage in long-term dialogue and get to know their heart. Sometimes we act partially. Would you agree with that? That we do that. Now, some of this is innocent. Single guys might be prone to blondes, you know, brunettes, uh, to redheads. I was definitely a blonde to brunette, and now I'm really into grandma gray, baby, okay? (laughs) Woo, man. Well, sometimes we look at people and we go, that's a typical jock. Uh, You know, she must have been a cheerleader. He's got way too many tats. Uh, He doesn't have a job. They they go to a weak church. She shouldn't wear that outfit. That car's way too expensive. I can't believe they'd buy that. 
He's got a PhD. He only gets D's. You know, that kind of thing. They're too political. They're into homeschool. <laughs> Every one of us here battles with a prejudice. Prejudice is, comes from a word that emphasizes a prejudgment of someone. Prejudgment of someone. And the Bible tells us that that's what must stop in our lives. The prejudgment of someone on the outside. On the outside. In fact, the book of James actually presses this issue in chapter 2. And if you're new with us, we're studying through the book of James, verse by verse, and we find ourselves now in the second part of the first paragraph of chapter 2, which is verses 1 through 13. And interesting enough, the point of James 2, 1 through 13 is to diffuse that kind of external thinking, that kind of partiality. James wants every believer to see their own sin of prejudice and to never treat others partially. To never treat others partially. Now, why is not living partial so important to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, because when you practice partiality, you misrepresent Christ to people. You misrepresent Christ. When you live partially, you live contrary to salvation that is based by grace. It's from grace. When you behave partially, you're a terrible witness since you give people the impression that God Himself sides with the wealthy or the powerful or those in powerful positions. And when you behave partially, you elevate the world's standards, the world's assessment of people, and you completely ignore God's view of people that is exposed in His Word. That's why it's so deadly. That's why it's so dangerous. And James teaches Christians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, to view partiality as a serious sin. James does not want partiality, prejudice, or bigotry at any level to be tolerated or to be viewed as a lesser sin, which was really what was going on with these scattered believers around the New Testament world. They were seeing this is not a big deal, and James says it is a big deal. It's a very big deal. In fact, it must not be true of his children in the church. Maybe you were raised in a prejudiced home. Maybe you were hurt by someone of another race. Perhaps you were warped by friends who are bigoted. And maybe you've even heard partiality proclaimed as acceptable from a weak or sick pulpit. Regardless of any of those situations today, James wants you to call it what it is. He wants you to call partiality and prejudice a deep sinful rebellion to the Lord you love. It is a deep sinful rebellion to the Lord you love. Stop hiding behind, well, that's just the way I was raised. Stop thinking that it's no big deal. James says partiality and faith in Christ do not mix. They do not mix. Today, allow God's Word to carve your preconceived partial bent out of your heart. Submit to the Holy Spirit and repent of your sin. Whether it's against a race, a certain kind of person, somebody who has tats or weird hair or a lot of income or little education or as simple as wrongly excluding someone from your discipleship gathering. Whenever you elevate your friends and dis others, whenever you exalt your clique and ignore others, you're being partial. 
Deal with your prejudice partiality. James has been testing us. This what this book is all about is testing your faith to see if it's legitimate. And he's been testing you to say, if you're having a trial, then respond with joy. You can because you know who's in control. Amen? You know who's in control. You're going through a trial right now. God is in control. He is orchestrating that. He has chosen that for you. And so you can rejoice even in difficult times. When you're tempted to sin, you can then say, Lord, it is me. It is not you. I'm not blaming you. I'm I'm accepting the responsibility of myself. I'm trusting in the salvation that you've given me. And I'm actually relying on your character as a holy God. In fact, when you're going through the fact of trying to live the Scripture, he says, practice living the Word of God in your life. Be a doer of the Word and not merely a what? Hearer. And last week, actually two weeks ago, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, James reminded his readers that God is not partial. Like Acts chapter 10, verse 34, God is not one to show partiality. He's not one to show partiality. And last time, he made certain that you remember what was really important in verse 1, letter A there, as we introduce and review a little bit, the intense exhortation. The intense exhortation, James says in verse 1, My brethren, do not hold your faith, your faith in Christ, your belief, your Christian walk. Don't hold that in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal what? He does not want you to play favorites. Impartiality has to do with looking with others and looking at others the way God does. To look at people the way God does, made in His image, special creations of His. To look at them in that manner. Impartiality comes when you see people through the lens of His Word. Impartiality, which is what He wants. All people are either in Christ or out of Christ. They're for Christ or they're against Christ. That's how the Bible views you know, people. It's, it's they're in Christ and they're dependent upon the Lord. Or they're independent of Him and doing their own thing. That's how he looks at people, not through the external criteria that so much of the world does. Understand, when you see others through the lens of this world, then you will see only external categories. When you look the way the world wants you to look, you will only see the externals. You'll see rich and poor, black and white and brown and yellow and school, Jew or Gentile, not schooled, smart and not so smart, and as a result, you will behave with favoritism. You will cling to your own kind, so to speak, instead of realizing that we're only in Christ or not in Christ. When you find a a special friend and cut yourself off from all other friends in high school ministry, when you only hang out with a cool group and never reach out to others, when your close friends have all the inside jokes in order to make others feel left out, then you're being partial But faith in Christ and partiality are incompatible. They don't cooperate. And to prove his point, letter B, James gives an insightful example. He gives an insightful example in verses 2 to 4. In verses 2 to 4, he gives us an illustration of two men. One is dressed to the nines. He's got bling and bedazzled clothes. Uh, The other is a poor man in grubby, soiled clothes, and he's only got one worn-out robe to live in that he sleeps in, that he works in, and everything else. And the usher in the church, kind of representing us as a Christian, he is blinded by the bling. He's incredibly impressed by the wealthy man coming to church. 
So the rich man gets the best seat and VIP treatment, and the poor man says, either stand over there or sit on the floor. So he played favorites. In other words, James announces, verse 4, that Usher is guilty of discrimination. He's guilty of partiality. And the usher made distinctions based on externals and became a judge, it says, with evil motives, resulting in, let us see, the inconsistent error. And the inconsistent error is basically verses 5 to 7. And what he's saying is to be partial to the rich, which was what the issue was back then, we have multiple issues today, but partial to the rich and turn your back on the poor is massively inconsistent. Because back then, as, as well as today, in light of God's choice of saving mainly the poor, and in light of the rich, who more often than not blaspheme God because of their attitude of self-sufficiency and their lack of really spiritual need. But this is not enough for James. He's taught us all of this, and yet today, with the remaining verses of this paragraph, all the way through verse 13 now, he desires to drive partiality out of my heart and to drive it out of your heart. He wants it to be gone. He desires for you to live as people who have been shown mercy. So much mercy that you begin to show that mercy to others. He wants you to live as people who have been lavished with so much grace by God that you cannot help but be gracious to other people. That's what he's saying to us, and he's going to do it in three ways. And first, point number one in your outline, in the second half of this paragraph, the stimulus for no partiality. The stimulus for no partiality, verses 8 and 9. James is very direct, and he gives his readers and every Christian here two motivators. Now, wonderfully, James gives you a negative motivator, and he gives you a positive motivator, right? A negative one and a positive one. He does both. The positive stimulus is to not live partial. The negative motivation is to not live partial. But if you're not going to live partial, then you're going to love others as yourself. There's the positive one. You're going to love others as yourself. The negative motivation will be that you understand that you see partiality the way God does as awful, awful sin. You've got to see it both. And both of those are contained in verses 8 and 9. Take a look at them, both the positive and then the negative. He says, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Now, to live impartially, but to love others is because you do that. Number one, first there in your outline, loving others without partiality is living excellent. Living excellent. I couldn't figure out a better word for that. But when it says you are doing well, it means living excellent. That's what it means. So when he says, James uh, chapter 2, verse 8, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You are living excellently. You are honoring Christ. You're glorifying God. You're doing everything that I want you to do. And James says here, if you love someone biblically, you will never violate them like treating them with favoritism or dissing them. Now, look at verse 8, the Greek word there, if, if however, do you see that there? That assumes it is true. In English, we have how many ifs? We have one if. In Greek, you have five ifs, all right? There's five different kinds of if, and this if assumes it's true. So you could actually translate it, say, since you are completing the royal law, since you are doing this, 
And the royal law is the law of the king. Do we serve a king, yes or no? Yes, we do. And this king loves you. And James reminds you of that biblical love is the fulfillment of all his commands. Biblical love demonstrates itself in obedience to his commands. If you pursue the great commandment to love the Lord, to love others as a way of life, then you will not treat others partially. If I really love you, I'm not going to diss you, correct? I'm not going to treat you as second best. I'm not going to love others and then not love you if I'm really loving you with the great commandment. If your lifestyle, your ongoing dealings with others will be pleasing to the king, pleasing to the royal law, a blessing to others, you are living then excellently. He says you're doing well, you're living the right way. Now remember how important this is. This is what defines a healthy church, is whether we love one another. When, when again, Pat ends the service and he says, don't forget to love one another, he's not telling you that just because that's a formula. It's the most important distinctive of us as a church. If we don't do that, we are failing. We are not living up. Now, it is not sentimental love. It's not the sappy love that we see you know, portrayed by the world. It's the love of sacrifice. It's the love of giving you what is most necessary. It's the love that says, I'm going to sacrifice myself in order that you are benefited and built up. It's that love. That he's talking about here. And, and basically James. What, he, what does he do when he says the positive motivation? He says look. If you want to get over partiality. Then you got to go back to the scripture. Right? That's what he says. He says go to the scripture. What's he say? He quotes Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know this command. This is a key Old Testament text. It's quoted by our Lord Jesus Christ repeatedly. It's quoted by the apostles repeatedly in the New Testament that we are to love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and we're to love one another as ourselves. Now, do you love yourself, yes or no? No, come on, that was pretty wimpy. Do you love yourself? Yeah, you got up this morning and you made sure that at least you looked presentable, you know, you put some clothes on, you washed your face, well, some of you did, and you know, you, you kind of went through that process. We, we do a lot of personal care. Gene and I, we talk a lot about the, the as you get older, the, there are certain things required and, and we, we don't like personal care. We don't like it because it's like it's all this focus on yourself because we don't want to be, we want to be focused on others, right, because that's what we're here for, to love others. And so here we are in the challenge of Scripture. The golden rule is based on this. Matthew 7, 12. In everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. So love them in that manner. And the Lord, in the second of the two greatest commandments, the first being love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second then, Paul says, every commandment in the law of Moses is summed up in this command that you shall, Romans 13, 9, love your neighbor as yourself. And he even says in Galatians 5, uh, 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is it important that you love people? Yes or no? Are you? Are you about the process of loving others? Not just, hey, good to see you again, and hey, we're in the same community group, and hey, this is great. No, no, not the people who are easy to love that you already know. What about the people you don't know? That's the point here, the people that you don't know. Are they experiencing that love, that sacrifice, that giving? We are to be known for sacrificially loving and giving and in order to benefit others. Love. Be motivated to flee partiality from a motive of love. Have you been loved, yes or no? 
Wait, 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 wait. Have you been loved? Yes or no? Listen, if you're a believer, then you've been lavished with love. And love has been shed abroad in your heart. And you got a love that you didn't deserve on any level. And yet He loved you. And that love, when you are loved deeply and greatly, then you will love. When you forget what He has done for you, then you will not love. We need to remember what He's done and have that be the motivation as we relate to all people around us, no matter who they are. If you love, you will not be partial. Well, if that's not going to stop you from being partial, then another way to stop partiality is to recognize, secondly in your outline, loving others with partiality is clearly sin. Loving others with partiality is clearly sin. And that's verse 9. If you show partiality, if you do that, if you diss one group and elevate another group, and if you're inconsistent in your sense of saying, hey, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, then you are committing what? Sin. And you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Now, sometimes we might, and maybe our church might be criticized because we talk, are you ready? Hold on to your bench now, if you would, please. We talk about sin here. <gasps> okay, I know, you got over it now. Understand that the Bible talks about sin, and so therefore we talk about sin. And the Bible wants you to be aware of your sin so that you'll go to the solution of sin. And it is a constant issue. And if we don't talk about sin, you'll never go to the solution of sin. And the solution of sin is Jesus Christ and walking in the Spirit and being what He wants us to be. And so therefore, this negative motivator for you not to be partial is that you understand how serious this sin is. And James is so pointed here, he's so strong, he basically is telling you the partiality is, is not just being discourteous. Partiality is not just being inconsiderate. It is sin, and there are two main ways theologically to define sin in the Scripture. Two main ways, and you're ready, verse 9 talks about both of them. There are two ways theologically to talk about sin. Number one, the way you talk about sin is you miss the mark. Okay, God is perfect. God is holy. Can I hear an amen to that? God is without sin in any way. And any time we fall short of His character, we miss the mark of His character then we are sinning, correct? So when we think, oh, that comment was less than, you know, what God would be honored by, or when we, that action would miss the mark, we miss the mark of His perfection. The second way the Scripture defines sin is that it's in violation of God's law. In violation of God's law. And whenever we miss and disobey some aspect of the teaching of the New Testament, then we are sinning. And those are both described here when he says you are committing sin. If you show partiality, you are committing sin. That's missing the mark. And then you are convicted by the law as a what? Transgressor. That means you are violating his law. James gives you both aspects. Now some of you, what do you mean transgress? Now, any of you ever trespass on property you weren't supposed to go on? This was, yeah, this was a normal Chris Mueller process when I was a kid. Uh, we had farmland around where we kind of grew up in Orange County, and uh, there was one particular place that was really, really attractive to all my neighborhood friends uh, that was filled with dirt, but it was another man's property. It was a farmer's property. He used to yell at us all the time, get off his property, get off his property. Now, this would never fly today, but he actually brought out a shotgun that's filled with rock salt, and he would shoot it in the air and said the next one was coming at us. 
And he, he, he did shoot at us. I mean, he would kind of hit something else so that would really scare us. But he did not want us to trespass on his land. Because we were violating the law, we were going contrary to what he wanted, and that's exactly what God says about sin. You're trespassing when you're partial. You're violating the law. We're violating what he wanted. And when you live partially, well, you love the rich, you diss the poor, you love your clique, you diss everybody else, then you trespass God's perfect law, and you miss the mark of his perfect character. That's what he's saying. He, he, he put all of what you can understand in harmartiology, the two major definitions of sin found in one verse to convince you that partiality is a big deal. It's what destroys the church. It's what destroys Christians. And we need to be those who hate it. Uh, in other words, what he wants is the Lord wants you to see that how you treat people really matters to him. It's almost missing today in the church. How you behave before, with other people is actually definitely matters to Him. It's a way that in which we either glorify Him or we actually malign His character. So check your motives. Are you sacrificial towards others? Or are you selective towards others? Are you loving all, merciful to all, gracious to all, or favoring a few? Uh, all of us battle with this, correct? Can, are, are, are you not with me in this? I mean, this is, all of us struggle with this. And do you actually elevate your treatment of others as pleasing Christ or not? Or negatively, do you see your treatment of others as no big deal? Because he wants you to understand that it is a big deal. The Lord's telling you right now that being partial is a serious sin. And the only way it will change is to see your relationships and your interactions with others as something very important to God. How you behave with your spouse, how you behave with your parents, how you behave with your children, how you behave with your friends and family, how you behave with other believers is really important to him. Remember, remember how the Lord treated you. You were evil. You were fallen. You were defiant in sin. You were hateful. You were lustful. And God gave you grace. Did he not? So the Lord wants you to treat others who are hateful and liars and complainers and those who are difficult to deal with. He wants you to deal with them with grace. Grace. Christ gave you a tanker truck full of grace. Can you not at least give a spoonful of grace to someone else? That's what he's saying. Treat others with gracious love. That's the right way but partiality is sin. In fact, be motivated by, number two, the seriousness of partiality. The seriousness of partiality. James is going to take it a step further in verses 10 and 11. And he's going to say, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For who said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not commit murder, now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. What's he saying here? James is saying, because the royal law of love others is so important, when you break this one law, you break all of God's laws. And if you break any of God's laws, you've also broken this one royal law of love. And the reason partiality, which chooses to love a select few, but not others, violates the great commandment, verse 10 asks this question. How many rocks does it take to break a mirror? How many? One. How many links must break in a chain for the chain to fail? How many? 
Just one. How many sins does it take to become guilty as a lawbreaker? Just one. And once you break the law with one sin, you're a lawbreaker. It's not how many sins or even the kinds of sins. Partiality is sin and it breaks God's law and it makes you a sinner, a lawbreaker, and displeasing to God Himself. And when James said, verse 10, He has become guilty of all, that verb tense tells you you were guilty and you continue to be guilty until you repent. Verse 11 says, Never say partiality is not as bad as committing adultery. Never say partiality is as bad as committing adultery. There are no A-plus sins and other sins that are D-minus sins. They're all equally F's on God's perfect report card. Are you getting this? It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus says adultery and partiality are equally offensive to God. So He's trying to help you understand how serious this is. Some sins are harder to detect, like pride. That's true. Other sins are come with the serious consequence like murder, adultery, and fornication, but they are all sin deserving of God's wrath. All of them. Partiality is sin. It's a violation of God's law. It's missing the mark of God's character. So living partial, living racist, living prejudiced, living with your clique and avoiding everyone else is a deep offense to God. Partiality means you treat one person kindly, but another intentionally ignore. Partiality means you favor the rich here in this context, and you treat the poor badly. Partiality means you're kind to your friends, and you diss everyone else. And as a result, you are offending God. That's what James' point here. You're sinning, you're breaking the law, you're, you're making the Lord Jesus Christ look terrible as if He were partial. Don't allow prejudice to continue in your life towards those of another race or towards those of another country or those who are not like you. For if you do, then you're insulting God who is merciful and gracious and kind and impartial to you and to me. James says in verse 11, you've become a, look at it, a transgressor of the law. You violated God's law. You remain a sinner having violated His perfect will for your life. Now, hopefully your hearts are saying, you know, Chris, I, I am sometimes partial. Uh, I'm looking at this going, yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel the struggle here. I'm, I'm there with you. This is all splashing back on me. I get it. But maybe you've been justifying your partiality. So what do you do? How do you stop? Well, James anticipated that, and he gives you the last two verses to direct you to stop. And that is, number three, the solution to partiality. Here's the solution. He says, so speak and so act, verse 12, who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who shown no mercy, and mercy, what? Triumphs over judgment. James says, verse 12, I want you to be speaking differently and acting differently. See that? So speak and so act. Why? Because your speech and your actions reveal your heart. And James is implying you need, desperately need a change of heart. How? You rely on God's Word and God's Spirit to do spiritual surgery. Now, for the believer, that means that you're relying on Him to sanctify you. And for maybe a few of you, it may mean that you're relying on Him to save you in the first place. Because that's what the tests of James are all about, is to expose who's genuine and who's not. And those who continue in partiality are going to be exposing themselves as those who are not saved. 
But stop living partial. Your heart needs to change in order to stop living partial. And so how can your heart change? Well, if you're in Christ and filled with the Spirit, then by His Word, first in your outline, live as one who's been set free. Live as one who's been set free. Live as one who lives under the reality of judgment. You've been set free. Because partiality is serious sin, James closes this paragraph with kind of an appeal for believers to consider the danger of judgment. You say, why does he bring up judgment? Well, the implication is for you to forsake the sin of partiality by asking the Lord's forgiveness. Last week, Jake, when he talked about confession, confessing your sin, well, ask him to wash your heart of partial treatment of others. Look at verse 12 again. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. They've been freed. And he's saying, look, live and act as a true believer. Live and act as someone who's been saved by God's grace, who will be judged on the basis of Christ's imputed righteousness. Do you understand what that means? The righteousness which came from Christ that now covers you as a Christian, making you acceptable to God. Listen, you're not supposed to walk away from here feeling guilty. You're supposed to walk away from here going, I want to be more like Christ. That's the point. The point is not that you walk away, oh, I'm so terrible. Look, that's not the point. The point is that you're going, I'm so thankful for the righteousness of Christ that covers me, and now I have the ability, the freedom, to actually walk in obedience and please Him. That's the point. It's the righteousness that frees you from bondage to sin. Your judgment for sin fell on Christ. Don't walk away here guilty. Walk away here challenged to be more like Christ. The law of liberty is freedom, freedom found in the gospel, freedom found by following the teaching of God's word, freedom by embracing the teaching of the New Testament. Genuine salvation in Christ frees any repentant sinner from the punishment of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. Are you with me? We are freed. Listen, every sin you've ever committed, if you're in Christ, past, present, and future, has been dealt with. Can I hear an amen? It's done. It's finished. The law of liberty frees you from the bondage of sin so you don't have to live partially. You can be free. Jesus promised this in John 8. Look at it. John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, which Christians do, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You're free. Look again at verse 12. He wraps up his indictment against impartiality with two commands. The two commands here, are you ready? Talk and walk. Talk and walk. So you see it? So speak and so act. I command you to talk and walk this way. What way? As someone who will answer to God for the way you treat people. Walk through life knowing that everything you say, everything you do is evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Live like someone who should have been judged for sin but was set free from sin. Live as someone who should have been harshly judged, but was actually forgiven by that judge, that holy, righteous, perfect judge. Treat others as if you are someone who has been set free from sin by a gracious, merciful God who should have justly condemned you. He should have done that. What James is saying to you in verse 12 is to be impacted by God's love for you. He set you free from the bondage of sin and set you free from sin's just punishment. So you're so overwhelmed with gratitude for His mercy and grace that you extend that love to others equally, not selectively. So you walk and talk as someone who should have justly 
burned forever in torment in hell, but was mercifully forgiven, set free, and made family. You were made family. You're not just the, you know, the, the forgiven enemy of God. You're now His child. He made you His child. The very God you offended, Christ did that for you. One more time. The Bible talks about sin. And the reason the Bible talks about sin is so that you would go to the solution for sin. So we will continue to teach the Bible and talk about sin so that you will go to the solution of sin. And that's not only Christ in salvation, but it's also Christ through His Spirit in sanctification. He suffered and died. He paid the penalty for your sin. He chose you. He called you. He awakened you to your need of a Savior. That's how desperate we were. He forgave you all your sin, every sin, past, present, and future, and transformed you in order to make you capable of overcoming sin. He set you free, verse 12, by the law of liberty. That's what he's talking about. He freed you. God wasn't partial with you or me. You know what God could have said to me? He could have said, you're white, Chris. You're white, You haven't suffered enough prejudice being a Caucasian. Plus, your family loved you growing up. You you came from a decent home growing up. So you don't understand rejection, Chris. And I'm really interested in, in those who have suffered because of their race and those who are coming from horrible homes. So you don't need my love, Chris. He could have said that. He could have been partial. He could have said that, but he wasn't partial and he isn't prejudiced. And regardless of my situation, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my race, and regardless of my home life, I am still a massive sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Just like every other person on this planet, no matter what race, what country, what language they speak. I'm in need of a Savior Paul, at the end of his life, called himself the chief ongoing present tense of sinners. None of us are going to escape that in this life. But we have a Savior who took all the punishment for us. Amen? And we can live in that reality. And I am so thankful (laughs) that he called me by his grace. He gave me his salvation. I didn't deserve it. I still don't deserve it. And out of that grace and love and mercy, I'm to extend that to others around me, no matter who they are. That's what he's talking about. God was not partial with me. I must not be partial with others. I must not be. And James gets really pointed as he wraps up partiality in verse 13. He says, live as one who has received mercy. Live as one who's received mercy. The judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow, the one who's shown no mercy. Who's that? That's the unbeliever. That's the unbeliever. Their their lives are characterized by partiality, hardness, selfishness. They want to divide up all the world into categories and, and the lack of concern for others. They're loveless and they don't care for those in need. You see this in students at school, don't you, high schoolers? You see this in employees at work, don't you, men and women? You even see it in extended family. You can go to any culture, you're going to find this partiality in 
in Africa, which tribe are you from, you know, and there's constant warring, and in Asia, what country are you from, and we're better, and, and there's all this constant, constant tension, when actually Christ brings us all equally at the, at the cross, we're all level, are we not? There is no exception, we're in Christ or we're not in Christ, that's the world, and understand, in the coming judgment, those who are not merciful, those non-believers will receive no mercy from God because they lived having shown selective partial mercy, little or no mercy to others. The lesson of the king who forgave the debt of his slave, but then the slave himself didn't forgive the debt owed to him by another, sheds light on what James is saying here. You know that story. When the king heard what the slave did, the slave that he forgave of that massive debt the slave who then didn't forgive his fellow slave. What happened? Matthew 18, 32. Look at it in your outline. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay what was owed him. Wow! When you have been shown great mercy, great mercy, it should affect the way you show mercy. Can I hear an amen to that? It should. And James adds, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. Triumphs is a very strong word. It means it boasts in one's achievement. When you win a competition over a harsh opponent, there's a triumph, like David triumphing over Goliath. And mercy triumphs. It wins the competition over judgment. Don't judge externally. Show mercy is what he's saying. There will be no judgment if mercy is given impartially to others. Remember, grace is is giving you what you don't deserve and mercy, are you ready, is not giving what you do deserve. And there are sometimes people in our lives, they don't deserve much the way they act. But because we've been shown mercy, we can extend mercy. Do you see that? Understand, when you love others who deserve to be judged, you are not being partial. James says to each one of you, when you live mercifully and partially, you're proving that you will not be judged for sin and you will not you know, be those who are then those lumped in like everybody else and just like the world. When you don't live merciful though, but partial, you're proving you will be judged for sin. Christian, you... You've been shown an ocean of mercy by the God who saved you. Then the more you soak others with the water of mercy, the more impartial you'll be. Work at it. Practice it. God is impartial. He is pleased. And and you're blessed when you love impartially and you're sinning badly when you treat others in your clique and, and dis others. Today, you want to live as someone who's been freed from sin. And live as someone who is under the scrutiny of God who will judge. And the way you treat others massively matters to the Lord Jesus Christ as a true indicator of your heart. So let's take this home. Letter A, love is your goal. Love is your goal. All of us have family and friends who are to be specially loved. That's not partiality. When it says husbands, love your wives, you're to love your wife. And, and parents, you know, uh, you love your kids, and hopefully your kids love your parents. That, that's, that's just part of uh, what God has called us to. But when you live as a sinner who has been forgiven much, you love much. 
When you forget how much you've been forgiven, then you don't love much. You will love others hard to love when you remember how much you've been loved. Those different than you. You will love those who are undeserving. And the New Testament actually, actually sets out as a goal, are you ready? That we would actually love our enemies. Love our enemies. That's where our impartiality goes. As a Christian, God has shed His love abroad in your hearts. You don't need to pray for more love, but learn how to show it generously and not selectively because love is your goal. Letter B, judgment is your reality. Judgment is your reality. Every person who's ever existed is going to be judged. Now, it's going to be different for the Christian. For the Christian, if our sin has been judged on Christ, we will not be judged for sin, but we will be evaluated for our behavior. Amen? We will be, and therefore, those who, you know, basically... Uh, uh, for the believer, they'll suffer consequences, they'll have a weakened witness, they'll undermine the church's unity, there'll be a loss of reward and more. For the non-believer, their condemnation will be forever. The unbeliever, partiality, just stores up more wrath as you violate his word, his will, his law, his character, and as a result, torment forever. Live under the reality of coming judgment. Know that what you do every day is under evaluation Flee partiality in relationships. Flee that. Letter C. Filled with the Spirit is your requirement. Non-believers have no ability to love biblically, let alone impartially. And you and I as believers cannot live the Christian life, and you and I cannot live impartially unless it is Christ living impartial through us by His Spirit. You must be filled with the Spirit. What's he saying? Write the verse down, Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be, what? Filled with the Spirit. Now what does he mean? Filled with the Spirit has the idea of being complete, and to be controlled, and to be commanded by the Spirit of God. Like the wind fills a sail and moves the boat along. Uh, Like if you drop an airborne in a glass of water, it saturates the water. It's filling the water with that medicine. Like emotion that might control you, like they're filled with fear. It's, It's controlling you, and filled is accomplished by a life of dependence. Write that down. A life of dependence. The Word of God saturating your mind, your thoughts, and your decisions all around God's Word, seeking to please Christ in all things and engaging your will to step out in obedience. As you're dependent, you step out in obedience according to His Word. You live dependently and obediently. And the verb filled there is a command. It's for everyone, all the time. But it's passive, meaning you cannot fill yourself. God must fill you, and so therefore you depend on Him to fill you and to work through you. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. It is God through you, and with or without feeling, you exercise your will to walk in obedience to the Word. To live impartially means you must depend on Christ, depend on His Spirit, and act in obedience. To live impartially, you need to rely on the Spirit of God in every way, in every relationship, and walk according to His Word, because it is God through you that accomplishes it. Again, can you save yourself, yes or no? Can you sanctify yourself, yes or no? No. It is dependence upon Him. It all glory goes to Him. We rely upon Him for everything. And letter D, salvation is your assurance. The only way to love impartially is to personally know and be transformed by the only God who is impartial. It's got to be Him through you. And the Lord saves impartially. He doesn't, it doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your background. 
doesn't matter your sinfulness. Listen, you may have been a very, 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 very evil person, but your sin can be forgiven when you come to Christ. Our God is merciful. Our God is gracious. And He is so loving that His Son was sent to take the punishment for sin and die in your place. God did not have to do that, but He did that out of love for you. And when you surrender Him by faith, when you hate your sin and repentance, you can be born again, forgiven, made new, full of love, in such a way that you will then love the unlovely, but it can only happen, listen, it can only happen when you exchange all that you are for all that He is. You surrender your life to Christ, you put your whole life in His hands, and if you would today, would you please give your life to Jesus Christ? Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this sober passage, and we pray, Father, that we might respond to it. First, as Christians, that we know that we need to be filled with your Spirit, we know that we need to be dependent upon you, we know that we can love, as the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, we can love others who are uniquely different from us, some who test us, some who are difficult to be around, some who we've built up prejudice against, we can overcome that. We can be one in you. And Father, we pray that every single person in this room would never again use any excuse to justify their prejudice or their partiality. And Father, that we would all be extending the love of Christ to those around us, even the stranger and to encourage them and sacrifice for them as you would have us do. Let us be light and salt in this community, not just towards one another, but towards those who don't know you. And Father, if there are any here who don't know you, pray that you would awaken their heart, that they would see their desperate need to turn to you in salvation, recognizing that you are the one who accomplished it, that God became a man, and then suffered and died and bore your wrath on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now can give us life to be the way, the truth, and the life. And there'll be no salvation except through Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that we might understand the truth of Scripture, that you might awaken them to the reality of their need to turn to you. Thank you again for this reminder. Thank you for James writing so pointedly. We pray, Father, that we might respond with worship, which would mean our lives are offered to you, and that you would be pleased with how we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.